That's right. You are watching the Daily Roundup from the Rocky Mountains and Prairies to La Belle Province. We are live today covering some of the stories. Uh, I am your host today, Adam Sosen. I'm joined by my co-host, Alexa Lavois. How are you doing, Alexa? I'm pretty good. And you, Adam? Oh, wonderful. No complaints whatsoever. Happy to be on with you. I don't. Have we done one of these before? I know we've been on streams, but I don't know if we've done the live stream together. Is this the first? No, I think we did once, but I think it's back a year ago. I think it was election night coverage or something, though. I know oh, we've yeah. done that, but yeah, it was yeah, it was the French debates, the French leadership debates. That's what it was. Fun. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be a good day. Before we get into some of these incredible stories for the day, uh, I'll just go through some of the nuts and bolts type stuff. Um, so if you're tuning in, you're likely watching us on Rumble, Odyssey, YouTube, Getter, wherever you choose to join us. We're very fortunate to have you with us. I, I would encourage you, though, to consider switching over to one of the platforms that doesn't necessarily pass judgment on people's opinions, but rather serves the role that, that these platforms are supposed to which is an avenue, an outlet, a place to share these perspectives. Um, YouTube, we've, we've had to be extremely careful in the past on what we could or couldn't uh, touch on, even if there were things that by all reasonable measures we should have been able to talk about. Uh, while p platforms like Rumble, well, they uh, had us over there with no problems whatsoever. They are great supporters of the work we do, so uh, check us out on Rumble. The other fun thing that you can do on Rumble, there's these things called Rumble Rants. You give a few bucks, and then you have the opportunity to engage with us, have a conversation. Um, that's always fun. It's good to have feedback from you, and, and unlike uh, some of the other media outlets out there who get their handouts from the government and don't really care what you have to say, we actually want to get your feedback. We want to know what you think about these stories, and if there's another story you'd like us to touch on, well, Rumble Rants are a great way to get Get that story across you can also join us on locals that's a place like a social media platform where you can find all of our coverage but if you support us through locals if you join locals that way um you're gonna have access to some of the content you wouldn't get on just our normal social media so i think that covers us for the day and without further ado we can get into some of these stories and the first story that i want to touch on here uh mm -hmm. is uh, we're gonna start right off the bat with some of this uh crime and uh 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 Really, a, a pretty dark period. Most of you are probably aware of the Carol Homolka, Paul Bernardo uh, sort of serial killings that took place. Obviously, Carol Homolka, we won't get into that too much, but pretty much got a borderline free pass and is, is living her best life. Um, but uh, the, the latest story uh, from Corrections Canada is that they could have given the victim's family's earlier warning of Paul Bernardo's uh, transfer. Mm -hmm. So a review committee has concluded there was nothing stopping Correctional Services of Canada from giving victims' families advance warning of serial killer and rapist Paul Bernardo's prison transfer. The committee also concluded that the decisions Corrections Canada made regarding Bernardo's security classification and transfer from maximum to medium mm -hmm. security prison were completely in compliance with legal and policy frameworks. So what we have here is is technically the actual decision itself, it was fine. But given the sort of dark period of history, what we saw, the murders, the rapes, all these things, um, that the angle that's concerning here is that, there, and it's part of a continuing pattern, and I'm sure you've probably seen it too as someone who was shot with a tear gas canister um, for covering a protest. But uh, if you're a pastor 
or if you're the family of a pastor, or if you're a, or a questioning journalist, or if you're maybe a trucker who is attending a protest, um, you, there seems to be no consideration whatsoever if you're a member of their families. Um, meanwhile, there seems to be a lot of care and concern going into uh, the, the the protection and treatment of Paul Bernardo. Uh, what do you think about all this, Alexa? Obviously, what what happened isn't <laughs> isn't wrong. The movement, but but the fact that the families weren't really consulted and they they learned about this on the news, like you or I. Yeah, but in the same time, like you see, they are almost apologized to a serial killer and his family when uh, you touch a good point for the pastor and for um for, uh, for even me being like shot or the woman who've been trampled by a horse not only she didn't receive any help from RCMP or anybody but nobody did inform family or anything that what happened and so they actually learned um afterwards after everybody saw it and and I would say like why why we have always double standard in Canada? Why we need to give more uh, right, more like, uh, um, you know, we give more to, to criminals than to normal citizens. This is not supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, it, it legitimately seems. And we, we've got some drug stories coming up too, so we'll touch on some of the double standard there as well. But you can legitimately get in more trouble for like, feeding the homeless without a permit or without the government sanction than for dealing hard drugs. It's it's pretty uh, wild to see. Uh, we do have a video clip with uh, with uh, our, our noble little potato in the lead um, who, who, who tackles this. So if we can run that video clip of Trudeau being asked about his uh, confidence in the public safety minister. Mr. Prime Minister, you didn't directly answer the question about um, your public safety minister. Do you Shocking. have confidence in him to continue after this uh, handling of the Bernardo transfer file? I have uh, an amazing team. Uh, in Ottawa and an amazing group of MPs uh, right across the country who are committed to serving their country every single day uh, and uh, anyone in my cabinet by definition has my confidence. Merci beaucoup tout le monde. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when you need to be asked twice the same question and you get that as an answer, it's like yeah. a basic, a basic answer that yeah. almost doesn't like answer to the question. It's just saying yeah. like I'm petting my um my MP and my cabinet. Oh, they are so great, but can you answer the question, please? You know, it, it, it's so bizarre because they literally said he didn't answer the question directly and he didn't again. It's the equivalent of like, Alexa, would you say we're friends? And you're like, I have lots of friends at Rebel. Uh, but yeah, but are we friends? I've got lots of friends. Like, he, he wasn't even willing to say the person's name. He's like, by definition, anyone, it, the guy cannot answer a question directly. Just by definition, anyone in my cabinet is very good. Um, this also speaks to, though, Justin Trudeau is like incapable of sort of questioning or acknowledging. I, I don't know if it's a, an actual like cognitive issue where he doesn't think he can err or if he's just so sort of insecure that he's not willing to make make sort of uh, concessions. And you look at someone like, for example, Danielle Smith, and I'm not endorsing the fact that she makes mistakes, but she's she's willing to at least sort of have conversations and be like, oh, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. You you just don't see that out of Justin Trudeau. It's it's almost like dealing with with a an AI robot that's been instructed never to apologize and never to commit to anything. That's what his answers 
always sound like uh, just just nothing sandwiches, basically. But in the same time, when we look at that, okay, for Ribbon News, it never answer us. That's fine. Like, we saw it. But the fact that it doesn't answer to us talk more than if it did. And example, now he's answering to those mainstream media, but he's not answering also. He's just doing a single virtue to like, oh, you see, I'm at least saying something. So you see, I'm I'm nice to mainstream media yeah. because they they are nice with me. But at at the end of the day, both of us, both of our outlet, our and their outlet doesn't get the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like we we file a request for information. Justin Trudeau refuses to give us a piece of paper in response, and he gives them a blank piece of paper. Either way, you're really getting nothing out of out of this government, and uh, it's starting to show. We we've got some stories about like sort of spending and approval coming up here in a little bit, but it is starting to show. People are starting to realize it. I for one though, I just think it's crazy that this has worked for eight years because this is effectively what what he's mm -hmm. been doing like it's and sometimes it's sad sometimes it's tragic sometimes it's funny like the water box thing like what practical measures are you taking oh we switched to like this hipster water it, none of these things are, are tangible practical direct answers now don't get me wrong that it spans the spectrum we had plenty of non-answer or pseudo-answer politicians and politicians skirting the issue in the conservative party as well um, I think that's starting to change. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if the scene what the scene is like politically in Quebec as far as politicians actually being mm -hmm. willing to answer questions. Uh, Pierre Polyevre, I think he's a little shy about interviews. I think he needs to step up and just do a full on interview. Yes, that's an open invitation. Um, but they're they're actually willing to be held accountable, willing to answer questions. Um, I think that's a move in the right direction. These liberals, there's no indication of it. So I I think that this may sort of continue to sway people they're cluing in that his empty arrogant answer isn't actually uh isn't a good thing and it's not him being suave he either doesn't know or he's hiding something i think those are the only two possibilities and by the way you're from cam like the west all people are seeing uh just Trudeau. do you think that they want him next time for prime minister always the take of the citizen from the west coast yeah, like uh, Vancouver, there's some folks who are liberal inclined for sure, and they've they're ma they've made some strides. As far as Alberta, though, it's the weirdest thing. Even the areas, the constituencies or ridings within Calgary that voted NDP and have become sort of NDP uh, like nesting grounds <laughs> or, or or holding grounds or places where they plan or at least hope to gain more ground, those places still will vote overwhelmingly conservative federally. So despite voting for a basically socialist, far-left, progressive government provincially in some of these areas, federally speaking, they will not vote for those people. They basically do not stand a chance. Um, mm -hmm. So we've got a by-election coming up here. Um, in, oh, yeah. in, in one area that at least one, maybe even two provincial ridings have gone NDP, and it's expected to be just an overwhelming uh, overwhelming conservative win. Like I could see, despite the fact PPC, Maverick, Liberal, NDP, and I think one other, 
uh, party at least are running. Yeah, Christian Heritage, I believe, is also running in this by-election. It could still be 60-70% for the Conservative candidate, Shav Majumder. Um, so yeah, it's it's federally they, they they don't buy it at all. It's incredible Toronto still does buy it, even though provincially they've sort of, sort of shifted uh, perspectives. So yeah, but no, uh, it's never been... Uh, it's never been a good sell in Saskatchewan or Alberta. They tend to just go overwhelmingly uh, blue, so not buying it in the slightest. Um, on that, we, we talked a little bit about some of the drug hypocrisy, but uh, uh, first off, I guess we can give some mm-hmm. kudos to RCMP. Um, four arrested, one wanted after months-long Alberta drug traffic investigation in Grand Prairie. Four people were arrested and another is being sought after a cache of drugs was seized following a months-long investigation said RCMP in Alberta, Grand Prairie RCMP and the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team conducted the investigation that started in the fall of 2002. So, uh, good news, apparently they took 87 cartons of illegal cigarettes, which, whatever, Um, but they also took off uh, the streets, uh, nearly 1,600 grams of cocaine, almost a kilo of fentanyl, and... uh, Wow, that's a lot. Um, and uh, 3,154 grams of methamphetamine during these searches. Um, you know, that's all good. But I mean, uh, what, they're going to hand them out in a safe drug house now? This is kind of what I wanted to get to here. I, I And it's different Alberta. Alberta has this different model. They're working on recovery rather than safe supplies. But uh, when you, I, I just kind of wanted to touch on the double standard, and I don't know, maybe you're more aware of the situation in Quebec. I know BC and Alberta pretty well. Um, the situation's pretty opposed. Um, but Alberta has said, no, we're working towards recovery. We're going to help people restore their lives. BC's seemingly gone the other route. H- how is the uh, Quebec government handling this? Are they handing out drugs for free? Do they have a, a strong support system for people who do want recovery? But uh, but we have like also of course like the uh, um, the weed shop and uh, we there's uh, some people try to open a magic mushroom shop but it's been like three times that the the shop have been raided um, confiscated and it, the owner keep reopening but the media is like going every time and police also and they are arresting like people who actually go as a client to since it's illegal here in canada but at, in terms of support i we don't see as much as maybe we we can see in other part of canada for support for drug addict or there is some but yeah. is there like really a lot like we know that we have a lot lack of staff everywhere lack of services everywhere so yes they are but is it effective i'm not sure about it and i'm assuming they do have like safe supplies and safe injection sites they tend to be pretty progressive on that front is that is that something or or is that are they not doing i think lots of problems do if they don't that's a good thing but uh, are they is the government handing out drugs I didn't hear that about any safe injection site. If someone are aware of that, um, I know that I'm not aware in Quebec and I'm not aware in Montreal. I don't think we have as much problem with drugs. I know there is uh, more recently in the street of Montreal, especially in old old town of Montreal. Uh, they right. had a report with like, like homeless people, drug addict, and uh, there is like a, a small crisis there. Um, but I didn't heard 
about a safe injection site where they can go and especially like free supply also for the injection. Um, so it didn't get to me about it and any like trouble or uh, problem uh, regarding that. So if someone have like some uh, tips for me, uh, yeah. just write to me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That'd be really good to know. So if there are folks out there watching in Quebec and you are familiar with a safe supply site or uh uh, safe injection site. It'd be good to know because I, I think if we're covering this, we've got helpnotharm.ca, uh, I believe, if not mm -hmm. that.com, uh, right across the country. We're covering sort of like whether it be drug supplies being handed out for free or drugs being handed out for free and how that's not a sympathetic or compassionate response to folks who are uh, struggling out there. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, it, I, I'd be super interested to know. So if anyone does reach out to Alexa, Alexa, send me a message too, because I'm very interested uh, in that. Um, really quickly here, um, before we jump to an ad break, there is just a breaking story here. I just put it in Slack as well, and I think maybe we can touch on it. Um, but uh, a retired RCMP officer charged with alleged China foreign interference um, William Macher, excuse the pronunciation there, a retired member of the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, has been charged in connection with alleged foreign interference activities to benefit China following a two-year investigation, the National Police Force says. The 60-year-old from Hong Kong appeared in Quebec court virtually on Friday to face charges laid under the Security of Information Act. He is charged with one count of preparatory acts for the benefit of a foreign entity and one count of conspiracy. Uh, according to the investigation, Mr. Matcher uh, allegedly used his knowledge and extensive network of contacts in Canada to obtain intelligence or services to benefit the People's Republic of China. RCMP says in the press release uh, announcing the charges, uh, none of these allegations have been tested in court. So I will just mention that these are allegedly. Now, this is a good thing, I think, that they're actually... Uh, volleying some of these charges but I'm wondering how much of a smokescreen this is when I think for anyone paying attention there's clearly foreign interference coming out of Justin Trudeau's office himself whether it be the funds that were funneled through a BC constituency uh, and magically appeared in in Trudeau's uh, uh, account for for him to run or the police stations that have been managed or some of the other I mean the list goes on of potential Chinese interference stories so if they're investigating this that's great I for one I'm just wondering when there's actually going to be investigation into the person who should be held to the highest standards in this country and that's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau any thoughts on that but, but it, since it's in Quebec I'm going to dig a little bit on this story and try to maybe try to have like interview with people who are involved in this investigation if they are they want to talk or maybe doing like some access to information or uh, email to know a little bit more information about uh, what is going on with this uh, RCMP officer. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure if anyone can get to the bottom of the story, it is our Alexa Lavoie. On that note, let's jump to a quick ad break and then we'll come back with some stories. We'll talk a little bit about Alberta and we'll do some climate stuff as well. How in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening, and it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't, in some sense, working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the 
only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster. No matter what, God will bring us through, and I said, we will not bow down to your gods. For tickets, showtime details, and to see the trailer, please go to savethechristians.com. My mug? I know. It's pretty cool. So is this hoodie I got on, and you could have it on too if you check out our special website at rebelnewstore.com. That's where you can see Freedom Focus hoodies that we have for you, beanies, cell phone cases, you name it, all while supporting our journalism where we fight to bring you the other side of the story as opposed to, you know, being forced by the Trudeau government to fund leftist media out of your taxes. The truth is, without you and your generosity, there is no rebel news. So again, if you like the reports that we bring you and that we also fight for freedoms in Canada, please consider doing some shopping, picking up some swag at rebelnewsstore.com. We appreciate your support. Yeah, By the so, way, so, during yeah. during the break, I did a little bit uh, of research about the safe injection site and I put it on Slack. And recently they did announce a funding of one point, uh, just one minute, uh, 1.2 million of dollars to tackle drug overdose. So yes, they are in Montreal and um, they, they decided to like this is the minister Lionel Carman who are involved in all this and um i'm i'm wondering if that will work or not do that it's enough i hope that the money will go uh for the right um action for mm-hmm. for avoiding as much as overdose as possible so uh, yes so yeah in montreal they are doing it uh, also yeah. You know, one of the things I'd, I'd suggest just looking at this article quickly here, when you see like decriminalization and social housing being the priorities rather than recovery hubs, like in Alberta, for example, they announced recovery centers, recovery beds, the emphasis and the language is 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 on actually helping the mm-hmm. people get off the addiction when i see emphasis on things like decriminalization and don't get me wrong criminalization on drugs is not particularly effective but an increased social housing what that sounds like to me is is a route towards giving these people a place to set up and uh and do drugs that will eventually potentially come from the government um so i don't know I, given given quebec's history on some social policy i'd be surprised to see this go the right way but i i'm hoping that uh and i know daniel smith is extremely passionate about this uh, we were at the adolescent uh 
Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center, ARC, uh, quite recently, and I had the opportunity to do an exclusive uh, interview. And she, along with many of the First Nations leaders and people right across the country, are extremely passionate about not only advocating uh, for recovery, but they, they're building this sort of Alberta model that they're hoping other areas, hopefully Quebec, hopefully BC, will start to see that there are benefits. And with the exception of a few months that haven't statistically said that this system is working. The overall trend suggests that actually believing in people and helping them reclaim their lives is is a more effective strategy. So it remains to be seen. I'm going to look into that as well, too, because uh, I know we've had uh, some coverage in Ontario and everything, too. But, uh, yeah, the Quebec story is always interesting. You never know. Some things, they're very much like Alberta, and they insist on doing things a certain way. And sometimes that's the right way. Um, sometimes it's very progressive, though. So, yeah, but thanks for pulling that up. I think that's valuable. I did want to touch there on one of the ads, um, Save the Christians, dot com. Um, we do have, uh, there, there are some dates there, a good str string of those dates have already passed. But for our friends who are in British Columbia, I know for sure working on potentially a couple dates, but there is a Whistler date set up. Uh, that event is going to consist of uh, not only a screening of this film, but I believe uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed, the film uh, sort of producer, executive producer, uh, Kian Simone will be there. Tamara Leach will also be there. So they'll be selling her Hold the Line book. Um, and I think she's going to be doing s signing books as well, too. We had an event like this in Calgary. We actually had two screenings, but both completely sold out. And then the event with Tamara was just so much fun. Um, so she, so you can get, get sort of two birds with one stone there. Uh, you can check out the movie and you can meet Tamara Leach, get a copy of her book, whether you buy it there or you have your own already get it signed so uh, incredible event so much fun to be at um, one of our other ads there sort of ties in very nicely to our next story um, and that is the city of calgary's plan to reintroduce fluoride into water um, unsurprisingly whatever you think about fluoride and water and if you want to weigh in with a super chat let us know and alex i don't know if you have any strong opinions on fluoride but we can talk really quickly about the unsurprising government outcome from this progressive uh, got gone deck led government that declares climate emergencies and, and does a whole bunch of other questionable things. Well, uh, it's going to take longer and cost more for the city of Calgary to reinstate water fluoridation at the city's two treatment plants. A recent memo from city administration shows the upfront cost of fluoridation ballooned to $28.1 million from the originally expected $10.1 million. The city says that the new number is based on a fully designed and tendered project, which includes construction of a new building at the Bear Spa Iyer treatment plant, which it wasn't originally planned for. It also takes into account inflationary impacts and supply change challenges. Uh, the article does go on if you are so interested. But I, imagine if uh, imagine if you had to head out to the field and uh, they're like, "What's the ticket going to cost?" You're like, "Oh, five hundred bucks probably." And then you came back and said, "Oh, it's 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 fifteen hundred dollars." It's quite a departure that their original guess. And I they added a facility. I understand that, but the fact they didn't know they needed an additional. They're like, "Oh yeah, we also need a building we forgot about," and it's tripling the cost of the entire project. Um, I can't remember, and I I don't think I'll pull it up on the fly. I, I know that this was a ballot issue, and I don't know if the city, if Calgarians voted overwhelmingly in favor, or if it was close. Um, but I don't know if they would have added, by the way, there's a 30 million price tag uh, included in this um, for the consideration of, of voters when that vote was passed. So, yeah, is, it, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know if uh, the water's, uh, I don't know if there's fluoridation where you are or if you're, uh, I know some people are very passionate about a fluoridation in water. 
But I, I just know one thing when I'm in Quebec, uh, because um, I'm in between Quebec and Montreal. So when I, I'm in Montreal, the water tastes so not good as when I'm in Quebec. So we can actually see that they put probably chemical on the water for cleaning it and and other stuff like that. So it's why I'm always taking precaution, I'm always or boiling my water or using like some some Brita or other like uh, mm -hmm. system to clean in it like afterwards just to, to just to be careful because you never know what you are you're putting in your body so it's better like to just clean it like on your side to make sure that you drink something pure and uh, you good uh, you, take, you keep yourself in good shape well yeah I know people who are on both sides of the conversations uh, I think sort of freedom oriented people I think seem to be a little bit opposed but I, I don't know I'm, I'm honestly a little bit on the fence I'd love some feedback from folks because I know the sort of uh, the, the the alleged benefits anyways of fluoridation uh, apparently like cavities just skyrocket when they remove fluoridation from the water um so for, for folks who maybe don't have the best dental care um and that can lead to things like heart disease all those other things so that's sort of the argument in favor um they mentioned sort of folks with lower socioeconomic backgrounds uh, taking advantage from this but then on the other side there's the questions of what the fluorides do um chemicals in your body how that affects your hormones all of that so that'd be a, that'd be certainly an interesting conversation to take a scientific perspective uh, and look at that. I'm sure people out there are either applauding or shaking their fists angrily at the fact we don't have an opinion uh, overtly one way or another. But I think it is a conversation that that merits uh, looking into. Um, another conversation that merits looking into but didn't end up happening was uh, Federal Environment Minister, uh, Mr. Gilbeau, um shutting down oh. the opportunity to uh, meet with a major oil sands company during his visit. Canada's Environment Minister uh, was in Alberta this week speaking to a handful of stakeholders and politicians about decarbonization and clean energy. But Minister Stephen Gilgo turned down a request for a meeting with major oil and gas company CEOs during the trip uh, amid industry anxiety about federal policies and timelines to reduce uh, emissions. The Pathways Alliance, a consortium of companies representing 95% of oil sands production, asked for time with the minister during his uh, visit to Calgary on Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, this says it all. He was meeting with stakeholders, shareholders, uh, politicians, saying, oh, we need to reduce this and uh, carbon reduction, blah, 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 2035. And then the people who make all of the energy and could potentially have one of the biggest impacts on this conversation were saying, let's meet to discuss. And he's not willing to sit down with them. How much of this sort of climate jargon is really just showing off for shareholders and voters uh and how much of it do you think is inclined towards actually changing something it, it first of all it's just an hypocrite because okay so you take your big car suv and you travel all all across like the world and uh, afterwards you don't want to meet the people who permit you to do so because i'm sorry the plane are not electric and your car is not electric also so <laughs> don't say to me that um, you don't want to meet them because like you want to virtue signal that you are for the cl climate change and we should not encourage uh, oil and gas company. But I'm sorry, you need them. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, take a note, oil companies. I, I've talked to Brian Jean about this in our exclusive interview recently. Um, I'm, I've asked Danielle Smith this when she was actually pursuing the leadership. Um, but the, these party, these these oil companies, 
they're continuing to play the game and pander and, and adhere to the rhetoric of this government thinking that if they play ball, um, they're going to get to sit at the table. But look at this. They, you have 95% of the production capacity um, saying, hey, can we have like 15, 20 minutes of your time? He's like, no, thanks. I have to go meet with some politicians and, and uh, stakeholders. That's wild. It's absolutely inconceivable that someone, if, you're, if your actual was inten intention was to sort of move the oil sector forward in a more environmental fashion, have a tangible impact, keep these companies who, who are tense and maybe concerned about 2035 targets to keep them at the table and, and working productively, you take this meeting. What this says is that they're, that, that Gilbo, that the Justin Trudeau government doesn't want to work with these companies and doesn't particularly care, despite the fact that they're bending the knee, kowtowing, and basically engaging in the language that this uh, government has very intentionally and in Orwellian fashion set. They're saying, this is the way we're going to have this conversation. You're going to be apologizing and groveling. And then when you do that, we're not even going to meet you at the table. Um, I hope for one, and we can jump to our next tweet here, that uh, these governments start to realize they need to, uh, or these, these companies rather, realize that they need to start uh, sort of putting their weight behind or at least collaborating with governments and parties that are willing to support the industries that have helped make Canada wealthy, particularly Alberta wealthy. And by extension, we send quite a bit of that over to uh, your province, among others. Um, but Daniel Smith finally learning a lesson from Quebec, I think. Um, it's funny, Quebec can, can advocate for themselves. And there seems to be very little criticism, whether it be from Trudeau, whether it be from... Uh, whether it be from uh, mainstream media, because they, they still sort of need those votes. They, they don't feel like they need Alberta's votes anymore. Um, but Daniel Smith uh, is, is not backing down. I had a bit of concern, but she's been pretty much a stalwart as far as pushing back um, this tweet from her uh, covering the 2035 net zero cost, which she has said is impossible, uh, valued at $1.7 trillion or 61 thousand dollars per taxpayer that is a troubling amount not to mention is it is it troubling and it'd, it'd be devastating but it also it's not tenable experts and many people on daniel smith's team and daniel smith herself they're not against this they're saying listen by 2050 we're gonna have the capacity to do this it might just naturally unfold anyways as technology progresses but 2035 is a Chinese communist leap forward manifesto type move that would destroy our industries. It's analogous to, you can see places where they're asking people not to charge their cars, their electric cars, because the grid can't handle it. They don't have enough power while bringing in restrictions and banning fuel-based cars. It's completely, uh, it's completely not possible. Um, uh, Daniel Smith says in her tweet, if the federal government chooses to forge ahead recklessly with their 2035 net zero agenda, Canada's middle and low income families will pay an extraordinary price, not to mention the loss of businesses and jobs. This ties into what you just said, Alexa. We have people who they, they probably can afford a few Teslas easily. They're jetting across mm -hmm. the country every day. They take these massive SUV excursion vehicles. I don't know if you've seen how many vehicles are in Justin Trudeau's uh, like, like, convoy whenever he goes anywhere it, it makes it makes a presidential convoy look modest um and they're telling us we need to smarten up uh what do you think of the double standard about among these politicians it's always double standard it's like don't eat me but i will eat me uh don't don't use like a gas car 
or or car because uh, it's not good for climate change when they are using it themselves of course like they don't have the time to stop at i don't know like a a charging point for 45 minutes to charge a car it's why they are using the most reliable source of energy for car that's mean oil petrol it's what we need and uh and it's always been like that but i'm wondering how long it will take for justin trudeau to now stigmatize people who use oil gas car and like people work in that industry 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 like what it did for the unvaccinated people yeah a fringe minority, extremist outliers who we should not tolerate driving their 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 fuel powered cars. Yeah, how far are we from that? The other thing that I find so funny too is like these people, like Trudeau has like nannies and a whole team and everything. Uh, meanwhile, those of us out here in the world with kids, he thinks we can have our kids parked for 45 minutes or standing on the side of the road in winter in, in Alberta waiting for our vehicle to charge. But these people who have a whole team around them, they can't possibly use that technology because it's not feasible. There's a disconnect there. Listen, once we have renewable energy, and if we were to get massive dams, or if we were to get uh, like nuclear energy, and there was a super abundance of electricity, and and the mileage range on electric vehicles got higher, the towing capacity and the the sort of speed attainability, not to mention the self-driving benefits, which... I understand there's concerns with self-driving too, but if you look at all the benefits of electric, once it becomes tenable, once the energy is renewable, once all those things are in place, they they probably will take over, but ha- it has to happen organically. Governments forcing it, they, they likely set these things back, if anything. No government initiative, other than maybe grants that help the technology in the very beginning, has advanced electric cars in any practical way. Elon Musk making cool Teslas that people want to drive and competing on the open market, that is what made electric cars sort of viable, and that's why you see them on the road. It has nothing to do with government policies, and frankly, like I said, I think government policies, if anything, will set them back. Uh, One of the things Mm -hmm. we touched on there, uh, sorry, go ahead if you have something on that as well. Uh, No, it's just because uh, they want us to turn completely electric, but right now in Quebec, we we know that we lost one um, contract with, uh, it was Volkswagen because we didn't have enough power to give to them. So we lost that. So they went to another province. And also, um, they were also talking to reduce our uh, electricity usage as like maybe washing during the night or other like uh, <laughs> option like that. And now they want to electrify everything car, home, industry, everything. And we know that the cost will rise to a point because now we don't have enough energy. They don't want to build more dam because the dam is not good for the environment. And they are saying, but we probably need to turn to solar or the air power, wind power, I'm sorry, but this is not reliable enough to sustain like as much people as that. So people would think that if they have an electric car, we'll save them money. Oh, I have like a surprise for you. Probably in the future, your electricity bill will rise up so high that you will pay more to charge your car and to live your life 
than just going to the gas station and put some gas in your car. Yeah, 100%. That is what will happen if this is forced forward. The other thing, like, the other thing that really doesn't make any sense is, like, eventually solar panels will probably get to the point, maybe not in a place that's winter half the year, but I know Calgary is one of the sunniest cities. So you look at a place like Calgary, it is a place where this could potentially work, but you don't need to, and this is the problem, is this is the way the government thinks of this stuff. They're like, in the name of the environment, we're going to clear cut a forest in order to plant solar farms. Well, there, there's roofs right across every single city already in place, and you don't need to cut down and clear-cut forests in order to implement solar panels. In fact, once they become viable, and once they become a cost savings, and if the government's actually willing, I know in some cases they're trying to tax people for electricity from their own solar panels, but if you can get unlimited electricity from very efficient panels on your own roof, we're on the threshold. I do know people who have solar panels on their roof and they're starting to actually get a bit of money back. It's starting to pay for itself. Once that technology, as we said, openly advances and is good enough that it's it's economically viable, it's going to compete. But if you look at anything government funded, look at the cell phone from when you were like in high school until the, compare that to the cell phone now. That's the open market. By comparison, if you look at a space shuttle, there's NASA's still using space shuttles from like 1974. They haven't changed. They're almost the same technology. SpaceX, different story. But anything that seems to get into that government vein, it doesn't evolve. It doesn't change. Things on the free market, there's competition. If you can get better for less money, you're going to get picked up. That's the best thing we can do. And until that technology advances, the best thing that Alberta can do for the world is export our energy because it's more ethical in terms of human rights and it's more ethical environmentally. The, the technology just isn't there. And whether it's Stephen Gilbeau or progressives on social media or someone who's never done anything for everyone else but drives an electric car and they think that's a good deed, um, once those people come to terms with that reality um, and stop trying to virtue signal and instead just, just buy things that work, the environment is going to benefit. And and all these okay. all these sort of utopic left-wing environmental ideas, they aren't going to happen because of the government pushing it. They're going to happen when they become uh, viable. Uh, another thing that this ties into perfectly here, though, is, uh, and this is a sign from British Columbia, Cat Canada uh, tweeted this out, um, and, and for the 15-minute city conspiracists out there, well, hey, you can put another one, you can check that off, uh, another point for the conspiracy theorists, because this uh, livable community is 15-minute city ready. Uh, you know, I the original intention behind 15 minute cities is a good one. And, and, and just bear with me. Let me let me let me let me mm -hmm. say this first. So the original sort of thought process, and then it was co-opted by WEF globalists who wanted to control your life, was let's make sort of old school, small town feeling communities. And there are some that are quite expensive and nice in Calgary that are, if you want to live here, you can. We're not going to lock you in. But and, and the intention was you can walk everywhere, access everything. There's a sense of community. There's a central square. It's kind of like what towns used to be like. But the government just has to go and ruin that and make it into this terrible, terrible thing where they're restricting you and it's for the environment. This is part of the reason they want you in an electric car that can't go very far at all. Um, do you think that's the heart of this, whether it's electric cars, whether it's these types of 15-minute cities, is just about controlling you, limiting you, closing you off from the world, making you feel isolated? But I would say I, I was thinking like you. Like, I was like, oh, this is actually a search good idea because you always want to have everything close to you if you don't want to take your car or you just want to be able to 
go and walk to take something close from you. But I think it's like what we saw, especially emerging for China, is like, well, you cannot pass to a district to another without being scanned or being like allowed to go. And, um, and especially, I'm just wondering like, why why they want to do that what because at the end of the day everybody is right now capable to afford to go and and take your grocery uh to go to the drugstore or anywhere that never been a problem never mm. been a problem for, for nobody but the goal on beyond the behind that is is what you say is like the the restriction limit for protecting the planet for climate change and especially like at one point why wanting the digital id why wanting um electric car because all those things it's easily controllable yeah yeah and and i think that that's the core of it it's just it's it's turning a positive so often like oh elon musk has these cool cars let's make them accessible for everyone and make this technology more available you're not allowed to have cars anymore you have to do this no just go away government like oh the uh, community developer is coming up with this idea where if people just want to like work at home have everything in their community we're going to make sure all those things are there then the government comes in 15 minute cities district 13 type nightmare scenario Scenarios where you're checking in and out of security gates in order to leave your neighborhood. They just take something positive and make it negative. It's always in the interest of control. Um, so yeah, it, but just to see the 15-minute city ready uh, rolled out there, that is something else. Uh, one more story I wanted to touch on before our next ad break. Um, and this is yeah. in the vein of a, a... Sorry, do you have one more thing there? Oh, no, I just wanted to no. know that in Montreal too, they are actually like building the 15-minute city, but... Um, the mayor already started it, but I'm not really surprised since uh, Barry Blanc, as I said before, she's in the C40 minutes, uh, C40 cities. Uh, she's uh, part of it and um, she's going pretty fast to that plan. And she she took like a part of Montreal where it's already delimited to the 15 minute city, already started. Right. Jeez. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's spreading fast and not organically. Um, I, we we've covered a bunch of stories over the last little while here with like uh, extreme heat and then maps the same temperatures as ten years ago that are all red now and the same temperatures were green not long ago. Um, just another story in that vein before we get to our commercial break. Uh, popular tourist spots are dangerously hot and some Albertans <laughs> are choosing to stay awake. Guys, you're you're not gonna believe this. Um, places like California, Arizona, Spain, and Italy are warm. Uh, and, and a shocking development, those places are, are known to be hot. I remember when I was a young man, um, those, those were hot ski destinations, every single one of those. Uh, and people would go there because in the middle of summer, you could ski. Uh, it was completely winter. But because of global warming now, these places are so hot that people can't go there. I'm being, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, but... These are places that we have known forever are very hot and people go there because it's very hot. That's why people go to these places. They have beaches. They always have. Um, it, it's part of the lifestyle and they've been advertised as being hot forever. Mm -hmm. Now, though, with this new media agenda, 
people can't go there because these places, and they actually list Spain, Italy, California, and Arizona as places that are hot, and that's concerning now. There's really not much to say here. It's just it's just kind of silly. Um, I think I think if there is any impact on the tourism industry, it's that the media is scaring people and convincing them. The overall temperature is up at most over the course of 40 years, I think, or 25 years, something like that, 0 0.7 degrees, if you trust the, the records. You, that's not a noticeable amount to people on a daily basis. Yeah, wild. And from, and from someone who did travel like since 15 years, okay, it's what I was doing for most of my life traveling, traveling everywhere because I was avoiding spending my time here during winter because it was too cold. So I was always away. It's always been hot. Everywhere I was traveling, it was burning sometimes so hot that I was sometimes dehydrated and I was like suffering sometimes. But this has been 15 years ago of that. And I'm just wondering because me during the time I was traveling, it was not don't travel there because it's too hot. It was don't travel there because it's not safe. And it was like, don't go there. It's not safe. It's not safe. And I've been to all those countries that they say, oh, it's not safe. I've never been in trouble. And yeah, but I'm just, now I'm just wondering if it's not the new standard. Don't go there because it's not safe. No. Yeah. Don't go there because it's hot. Yeah. Don't guys, this is very important. If you take one thing away from this, do not go to Italy, Spain, California, or Arizona because it's hot there. Very dangerous. Yeah, something <laughs> else. You know, I, I just want it's it's nonstop. Every week we're gonna have some story making it seem like it's so hot and dangerous out there. Um, on that note, we're overdue for an ad break. We're gonna do an ad break. Then we're gonna come back and we're gonna fly through some stories as we're coming up against the end of the hour. And we have some chats coming up as well too. So get mm -hmm. your chats in now so we can touch on them. But let's do one more ad break. In a world plagued by conformity, where truth is distorted, freedom is a distant memory, and Big Brother is always watching. One man, Winston Smith, looks to break through his bleak existence. Introducing the all-new Rebel Illustrated Classics edition of George Orwell's iconic book, 1984. Now, more than ever, in the age of lockdowns, 15-minute cities, and World Economic Forum globalism, everyone must read 1984. Uncover the hidden depths of this literary classic with our exclusive illustrated edition that brings Orwell's haunting vision to life, reborn with a foreword by Ezra Levant and 30 captivating new illustrations by artist Paul Revoch. You see that Orwell is not only explaining what might come, but in my opinion, what's already here, even back when he wrote it in 1949 but much more so as we see revealed today, particularly with the last three years. Join the rebellion against conformity. Get your hands on the Rebel Illustrated Classics edition of 1984, now available at buy1984.com. Adam, yeah. I was just thinking, <laughs> I say, soon you will see in the news, they will say, don't come to Quebec and Montreal because you will be overfloating. It's too wet. And you made. <laughs> yeah, and don't don't come to the Canadian Rockies in winter. There's too much snow. You'll, you'll be you'll have to ski or snowboard if you come to the Rockies. Um, troubling troubling developments. Uh, uh, tourist locations experiencing weather they're known for. Breaking news. Uh, now back to Trudeau. Couple couple of Trudeau stories. 
uh, majority of Canadians, the only real news here is that it's shocking that it's not all Canadians, but majority of Canadians think Trudeau government spends too much uh, and, on the, and on the wrong things. Fewer than one in four Canadians believe that the federal government is spending on the right things, while two in three say their tax burden is too high. Um, those numbers are shocking. It should be like 95% uh, 95% across the board. A little bit concerning for, for the upcoming uh, election. But uh, yeah, other findings include that two in three Canadians recognize that increased government spending contributes to inflation. Uh, it not only contributes to it, it's the, by most economic standards, the the primary and often one of the only major driving forces in inflation. Turns out printing money devalues money. Shocking development. Not only do Canadians find that the Trudeau government spends too much, but they also find that it spends unwisely, said Renaud Brossard, Senior Director of Communications at MEI in a statement, seems to indicate a disconnect between the Department of Finance and the people whose money is entrusted in its care. I love this by contrast to what we're seeing uh, in, in Alberta, for example. Daniel Smith saying things, well, it's not our money, it's your money. Um, we should take less of it because it's not our money. Uh, Rick McIver saying we need basic competent government. We need to back away from all this. The, the Trudeau government probably spends more on orange juice than past governments spent on national defense. Like it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, and, and it's manifest in every single thing, whether it be the massive unneeded motorcades, the nonstop jet flights, uh, the, the governor general under Trudeau spending $71,000 on a limousine fares on one trip, just everything about this government from the top down, including the mass hiring, just reeks of sort of entitlement uh, and, and sort of just Laurentian elitism right across uh, the board. Is, is the sentiment the same in French Canada? Oh, yeah, it is. And I find that really despicable that all taxpayer need to, need to pay so much money to, for those bureaucrat politicians to live an upper-scale life when majority of Canadians are now suffering from inflation and try to survive and pay the, their bill and survive and feed their family, but they need to contribute to, for them to have like a fancy time away and live their life as most of Canadians would love to maybe experiment one day of how they live their life. Yeah. <clears throat> Even I remember not that long ago, there's a story about like, I think it was a third or two thirds of the way through the year. Like the Trudeau household had spent like 180000 or $130,000 on groceries alone. Like it, it, that, that's oh, more shit. than most families make. And that, that was just their grocery bill. And how often do they eat out? Like that was the grocery bill at the house they're barely at not the, the massive expenditures beyond that. Now, this is a sentiment not just in Alberta, not just in Quebec, but right across this country. In Ontario, we saw a trip in Belleville cut short after uh, yeah. protesters swarmed the motorcade. The thing that killed me about this is, is some of the apologists on social media saying, like, political discord has fallen apart. There's no respect. Well, I mean, you have a guy who calls people a fringe minority who really shouldn't be tolerated. Um, you have a guy spending, like, nobody's business um, denigrating people, sort of saying he understands when churches are being burnt down en masse. Th this isn't Canadians. Canadians aren't inherently an angry... Uh, Quebecers maybe a little bit more, but uh, Canadians, I think, generally, they don't tend to protest. They don't tend to be angry about things. They don't tend to yell their opinions. But this government, Justin Trudeau's government, particularly COVID-19, has exasperated things. But they have brought this on because they are just so outlandish. It's 
it's wild the amount of sort of negative things this guy i don't know if you looked at the ethics violations of every previous prime minister and not to mention we know how bad he is budget driving sort of more debt than than everyone combined prior to him but if you looked at the amount of scandals and ethics violations and questionable things of all leadership in this country's history, including Justin Trudeau's dad, and compared it to Justin Trudeau, who do you think would have more scandals and more questionable conduct? Is it really a question? <laughs> is it Justin Trudeau? Of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, this is something that I find that really surprising in Quebec when Justin Trudeau is, is in. There is no protest. Like, I've been chasing him, like, around in Quebec or Trois-Rivières or other places in Quebec. But where, when he's in town, it seems like no one is protesting against him. It's really mostly in uh, Ontario. I would say, like, Ontario, they are really there. Like, when Justin Trudeau is, is in town somewhere, if it's Toronto or Belleville or... Ottawa, there is always protesters who wait for him. And I don't know if you noticed, but in Belleville, they had, there was like a, a lot of protesters. But did you see like recently the video when he is there for speaking about democracy and he actually asked the police to, to put the people out, the people who were standing up against him to try to speak up and... Um, challenge him he just like look at the police and just say like get him get them out like i was like okay you're here for talking democracy uh so why you don't want to to heard like different point of view about what is going on yeah well and it isn't just this is the thing is he was at the, the he was at the uh, first nations or indigenous games of some sort he was booed um, yeah. where he comes to the calgary stampede he's booed he has a dinner now alberta's different he tends to be as cautious as he can about letting people know they go out of their way to hide where he's going to be it's a task to try and tack, track him down even then there's protests but i mean this is it's everybody it's it, you can go to first nations communities they'll boo you you can go to conservative alberta stampede People are going to be there booing you, and it's universal. There's always there's always going to be sort of one outlier who's yelling and screaming, no matter who is in charge. That's that's there's always someone who's willing to throw a pie or crack an egg on someone's head. But when it's everybody in unison, that that should tell you something. Um, and if you don't get that, which Trudeau doesn't, he's like we said, incapable of saying, looking in the mirror and saying, "Am, am I the problem?" Uh, I hate to drop Taylor Swift again, but uh, you think he, you think he'd say it's me? I'm the problem at some point. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he seems incapable of it. What, one thing, though, if you don't mind that, I want to contra yeah. contrast to this. The media's attention on Pierre Polyever calling this $540,000 uh, Niagara home a tiny little shack, that, that got more attention than Trudeau like evicting journalists. And, and and cops pushing people, or in the mainstream media, it probably got more attention than the lady getting trampled by the horse. This this is the the contrast is is wild. And the point that he's making uh. is this: this is a small-ish home, a tiny little shack. Sure, maybe that was a little insensitive towards the person who owns the house, but that is a very small home. It looks slightly shackish at a quick photo, but that's a small, moderate home that an average person should be able to afford. Um, and it's five hundred and forty thousand dollars. What? Yeah, and well, in Calgary, is... the the median house price 
is six hundred thousand dollars. Wow! It might be higher than that. Your average house, and then if you talk about Toronto, like my house in Toronto, it's a small, relatively modest house, would be like one point four million. Like Vancouver is the same. The point that he was making is is what media should really be outraged about and it's how justin trudeau whether it's groceries whether it's house prices we've seen rent and mortgages double just in eight years under justin trudeau everything is getting untenable but what they focus in on all the media is oh he called this house a tiny little shack sure was it the most eloquent words but it just speaks to the double standards within media doesn't it yeah but in the same time he's a little bit right this is a really tiny shack because <laughs> there is like a and especially for the price, because there is like a house selling that far away, beautiful house, you know, and is $200,000 less than that. And yeah. I find that outrageous to see the price when you see the house. And especially oh, yeah. I'm just thinking that there, it looks like there is a lot of reparation to put in this house also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's got, it's got some work required for sure. Hey, that's uh it's a perfect metaphor for Justin Trudeau's Canada. Oh, um, yeah. we're, we're, we're up against the hour here. We have two more stories I want to touch on really quickly. And then uh, we're, we're lucky to have some chats. So we will uh, go through those. Um, I want to talk about Italy. I know um, no oh, one's yeah. allowed to go there because it's dangerously hot. <laughs> so I, forewarning, just before we talk about this story, even hearing this story may cause, cause global warming. So be careful. Um, but Italy is, is tackling some of this radical oh, progressivism yeah. before you go a little bit further yes oh we can go to italy is it because it's like really right-wing hot country because it seems like they wants to punish that country for like doing so many right-wing like decision yeah yeah, they have like they're having family days and they're doing all this stuff. And now the latest thing, and this is most of it being, I think, driven by well, one one the popular vote, but also Prime Minister uh, Giorgia Maloney, um, who I, I think I think she uh, turned uh, Pride Month into Family Month, which was a good starter. Um, but Italy is starting to remove lesbian mothers' names from children's birth certificates. You know. <sighs> I'm happy to see the rejection, and I'm very much a firm believer that, uh, uh, and this is a shocking statement, I know, affirming biology, but two people of the same gender can't have a child. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting to see the broad implications of this, but generally there is a pushback uh, starting in Italy and in and, and places across the world, uh, whether it be gays against groomers or lots of these other movements. But let's let's read a bit here. The northern Italian city of Padua, home of St. Anthony, my little Catholic edition there, has started removing the names of non-biological gay mothers from the children's birth certificates under new legislation passed by the traditional family first government of aforementioned uh, prime minister. These birth certificates belong to 33 children of Italian women who underwent artificial insemination abroad and then registered their children under the city's center-left government, led by Sergio Giordani in 2017. The prosecutor's office in Padua confirmed to CNN as of Thursday, 27 mothers have been removed from 27 birth certificates. So they effectively went out of the country, sought artificial insemination, uh, a progressive local municipal government made them official birth certificates, and then the Italian government is saying, ah, I don't think so. Now, I certainly hope they're not intervening and removing children from their parents' care once the children are already in that situation. But this does seem a concrete uh, repudiation and opposition to what we're seeing everywhere else in the world 
which seems to be a celebration of this. Another thing that ties into this exactly um, is the Miss Italy pageant banning transgender uh, competitors. The yeah. owner of Miss Italia pageant, Patrizia Mirigliani, has announced uh, biological males are banned from competing in the women's beauty contest. My competition provides in its rules clarification that you must be a woman from birth. The move comes after a transgender model won the Miss Universe Netherlands uh, sparking backlash across the world. You know what? Th thank God this should happen in sports. This should happen in these pageants, obviously, because the thing is that that and there, there's a video recently of like a figure skater, male, former male figure skater, biological male competing in skating. And they're they're very often dreadful. They aren't actually competing. They don't give the most eloquent answers. It's not as though they're transitioning and then they're actually much better, which, I mean, we see that in sports. Often they transition, then they dominate. But in a beauty pageant, these people, the photos we're circulating, are objectively not as beautiful and aren't, aren't competing uh, on the same level, but they're simply being given awards. There's no way that all these women of the year that have gone to former males or biological males are actually the best women on the planet. But what happens is, in this spirit and age of of ultimately they they claim it's feminism but what it is is deletion of femininity um they're 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 just handing these out to anybody who suits this agenda alexa you can speak to this better than i can as a woman what's it like to see just any male who's willing to transition being given every award that that a woman could potentially get but i find that a little bit despicable because in the same time like it's supposed to be the environment of women it's always been pageant for beauty i've always been like the the whole world of women and we see something as basic as that taking away from the woman and we talk after that like sports we talk about the bathroom we talk about where is the safe space for women where are the feminism like where are the feminists they are supposed to protect the woman I'm sorry, you are a biological male who dress as a woman. Um, I'm, if you want to be like that, I have no problem with it. Uh, do whatever you want. It's your life. But don't go, come and take the space that women have fight for a long time to have their safe space and to have their own uh, if it's not their own pageant, it would be their own sport. It would be their own like challenge. Please let them battle and be with other women, and to don't be scared to lose in front of biological men. And by the way, for the birth certificate, I will say that you, I'm agree with that because it should be the biological person who give you birth. Because when we go back and we want to have the genetic tree, we need to know where your genetic is coming from. And if it's someone who did adopt you or didn't give you your, your genetic, how you be you can have an accurate genetic background of your life. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a factual record. Now, if down the line they put some sort of addendum or there's a way to qualify that, but this clearly seems to be that the country has a way they document these things and this progressive council sought to undermine that. So it seems like they are 
writing wrong. Uh, there's lots of sort of protests around uh, the country and, and, and abroad um, on the front of let kids be kids. I think you've hit the nail on the head with the let women be women. Um, perhaps a new movement that needs to be started by Alexa Lavois. Um, one more story for <laughs> the day here. It, wa it was in the headline, so we do want to touch on it. And this article has me saying, ben voyons dans le um, Quebec public health. <laughs> insurer hangs up on anglophone ang, anglophone woman for speaking in english um quebec promised bill 96 wouldn't affect access to healthcare. turns out healthcare doesn't include public health insurance um as we're up against the hour i won't go into all the details but uh basically someone was someone was having quite a bit of trouble accessing healthcare, yeah. and when he called uh the public servant on the phone uh speaking in english uh, when she called rather he said i don't have mm -hmm. to speak to you in english speak french and I said, I can't speak enough for you to understand me or for me to understand you. He said, then get somebody. I said, I can't. I'm alone. Uh, a person clearly needing help. Uh, so he recounted, I said, is there nobody there who can speak English to me? Uh, and then they hung up. I, You know what? Like, like uh, Quebec wants to affirm their sort of national identity. Uh, Alberta needs to take a lesson from Quebec on that front. And Daniel Smith is starting to do some of those things. But when when you're so stubborn, and I'm sure you've seen this in Ottawa, uh, there's, they, they want people to be bilingual. People can barely speak English, and they qualify it as bilingual. But someone goes into Quebec or is trying to access government services, and they don't have the right accent in French, and they, they, they get, there, there's a glaring, again, double standard seems to be the, the theme of the day. But that double standard has existed for a long time. But when it gets to the point where someone is literally refusing uh, a service that is being provided, provided for that that's problematic isn't it it is and it's not okay it, imagine the distress of the person who called for having help and she's been refused because she's speaking in english i know what it is to struggle to uh, try to explain what is going on okay and i'm sorry but quebec have created an handicap for all quebecer to have like, just like in school, to have an education for English really poor. So you're not really interested to learn English. And most of the Quebecer, I'm not talking about Montreal because Montreal is bilingual pretty well. But for the rest of the province, I would say that a lot of people doesn't speak a word in, in English. And, and we see like the big barrier that that creates. And I, I would say that imagine like a, a, a Quebecer in another country trying to have like some problem and health issue and try to communicate in French and but the, everybody would say but it's English. They would be like frustrated and really like panic. But imagine of a minority of Quebecer who speak English or their first language was English and and try to get some help that is help or other like, like field, I don't care. But when you need help and you get this a discrimination because you cannot like speak the language, we are in a country who have two languages. I, I know that in Quebec, the official language is French, but everybody should speak the both language of the country. This is my point of view. And, yeah. and in Quebec, you speak in French, yes but you should be able to provide any services in both language for the people, not only the uh, English Quebecer, but for tourists who come here 
who need help. Imagine like an English tourist who come here and heard of this story. Do you think that they really want to come here? And if they have like a health problem, they will not be able to have any services or help? Well, e even imagine from the other perspective, if you were a French-speaking person from Quebec somewhere else in Canada, and you tried to access, say, a federal thing, and they weren't a, a federal service, and they weren't able to provide you care, that would be a that'd be massive news. If if literally the exact same scenario presented with the languages reversed, it would be a massive scandalous headline. Uh, so yeah, troubling indeed. Hopefully, hopefully it was someone, and hopefully there's a formal response stipulating this mm -hmm. was a clerical error or someone completely. Acted, uh, inappropriately but yeah troubling indeed um, as we are over time I'm going to run through these chats thanks to everyone who did uh, offer up our rumble chant and uh, chat uh, some feedback as I expected on the fluoride uh, front CA Freedom Fighter US uh, says strongly recommend gives five dollars and says strongly recommend reading the fluoride deception by Christopher Bryson no. Uh, uh, CA Freedom Fighter US again five dollars says after researching fluoride I have found this product and recommend firsthand for dental care again I'm not a medical professional but I'm just going to reread this here um, not recommending it personally uh, shine remineralizing tooth whitening powder with uh, hydrozypatite by Aura Wellness excuse my pronunciation there Fraser McBurney once again chips in with five dollars in all caps as always this Sunday we celebrate the three-year anniversary of our Hamilton Freedom Movement we're hosting a potluck picnic at Bayfront Park 12 noon let's have fun Nice. Um, <laughs> McBurney again, $5. How does solar power work when it's dark or covered with snow? How does wind mm -hmm. power advance when there's no wind? Just asking. Yeah, and that's the thing is, is they, they don't. There's issues. There's instabilities. Until we have a massive storage grid that can, which we don't have, maybe Musk is working on it, but until we can store energy in massive quantities that can be pulled at later times. Uh, but I know, like, for example, you look at somewhere like Medicine Hat or Calgary, they're some of the sunniest places. There's so many greenhouses in this area in in the world at least in the country as far as days of sunlight so there are certain strategic places where they might be more advantageous but again it, it's far from a perfect technology i don't like wind technology at all it kills a lot of birds you mm -hmm. have to clear cut areas there's now talks about sort of uh, migraines and potentially even cancers resulting so it, it's we're, we're in the early days of this type of technology it might get there eventually but but it's certainly not there yet. Uh, thank you, CA Freedom Fighter US and Fraser McBurney yep. for chipping in. Really appreciate that conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that pretty much wraps us up for the day. Any final thoughts for the folks, Alexa? Uh, no, but I thank you for everybody who tuned in and uh, thanks for being there. Thanks for participating with the chat. And I hope like uh, we see uh, soon because uh, me, I'm mostly there sometimes to replace people who need um, to work on the field. <laughs> Wonderful. And I, I'm here most Fridays. I think I might be away next Friday, but usually happy to see you on Fridays. I want to thank everyone in the studio for making this possible. As Alexa said, the folks who uh, weighed in with their conversations, everyone for tuning in at home. We couldn't do it without you. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sose.